would invite you to open your Bibles with me and turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 22. If you'd like to follow along in the red Bibles around you, you'll find it on pages 274 and 275. It's a long chapter, 51 verses, so I'm going to jump right in and invite you to read along as I read these words to you from 2 Samuel chapter 22. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called, from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. 
You have you gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me as as soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king. And shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David, and his offspring forever. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to see what you want us to see from this portion of your word. Help us to learn what you want us to learn. And help us to see our Savior. Help us to see Jesus. And as we do, I pray that you would fill us with praise and thanksgiving to you. That we would be your people who trust that truly you are at work in our midst. That we would be empowered to live faithfully in our relationship with you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Dave Dravecki was a Major League Baseball player with the San Diego Padres and the San Francisco Giants during the 1980s. 1988, he found out that he had cancer in his left arm, which was his pitching arm. The doctors told him initially that it would take a miracle for him ever to be able to pitch at that level ever again because as they went in and did surgery on his arm to remove the cancer, they had to remove half of his deltoid muscle And then they froze his humerus bone in an attempt to remove all of the cancerous cells. Dave Dravecki is one of God's people. He is a Christian. And so he started praying for that miracle. By August of 1989, after months and months of rehab, he was scheduled to pitch his comeback game. And he said that he was hoping and imagining that he would come and pitch this wonderful game and that afterwards he'd be surrounded by the media so that he could give God the glory for what God had done. But he didn't get the chance to do it. He was pitching in the game and at the sixth inning, standing on the mound, he decided he was going to throw a fastball to the batter that was at the plate. And as he did, his humerus bone snapped in two right between his shoulder and his elbow. It was said that people in the stadium could hear the snap all over the stadium. He fell, 
collapsed on the field in overwhelming pain and was taken off on a stretcher. Eventually, his arm and his shoulder had to be amputated. As he went through this time of incredible difficulty, he struggled with depression and fear and pain. But God was at work. He was at work teaching Dave Dravecki new levels of God's sustaining grace and power. God was at work calling on Dravecki to trust that the Lord was at work in ways that he couldn't even see. God was at work in calling Dravecki to walk a life of faithful obedience and trust. He never got to have that stage with all of the media of the world listening to him give glory to God. But as God led him through that incredibly difficult time and trial, he began having opportunities of telling others about what God had done. And literally thousands and thousands of people have heard Drevecki's testimony of God's faithfulness and grace and goodness. That God is a God who can be trusted and that he's always at work. Drevecki has said, what God does through the valleys of life is to shape and mold us into the image that he wants us to be. He gives us strength to endure. It is that sense of what Drevecki was saying that we get here in 2 Samuel chapter 22 from David. David is, is writing these words to show God's people, to show us how we must respond in the midst of the trials and the challenges of life. That as we look back and we see how God has been at work in our lives, we would be filled with a sense of the importance of praising God no matter what the circumstances. That we would be filled with a, with a trust that God is at work even when we can't see it. And that we would be empowered to walk faithfully in a relationship with the Lord God Almighty. And that through it all, we would see Jesus and the gospel. Today, that's what I want us to look at. We'll start by looking at what this chapter is. And then secondly, why David wrote it. We'll go through both of those things fairly quickly so that we can spend most of our time thinking about what difference this makes for us today. So first of all, what is this? Now, I ask that question uh, because uh, you know, if you've been a part of our study, that we've been looking at Second Samuel, uh, the book of Second Samuel. And we've talked about the fact, and you know, that there are many different kinds of literature in the Bible. There are letters, uh, often in the New Testament. There are Gospels. Uh, there are laws. There are Proverbs. There are prophecies. And there is narrative. There, there are historical accounts of God being at work in his creation, especially in the Old Testament. And this school year, we've been looking at the book of 2 Samuel. And largely, 2 Samuel is narrative. It is historical accounts and stories of the rise and the reign of David. And it reads often like a historical novel. But as we come to chapter 22, we see that there's something different here. In fact, you can even visually see that in most of your Bibles as the text is formatted differently. What is this that we have in front of us? This is not just history. It's not just a narrative recount of what was happening historically, something different. This is, a, according to verse 1, a song. It's a song of David. It's poetry. In fact, we could rightly call it a psalm. 
It's actually the case that David wrote many of the Psalms in the Bible, and this is actually one of them. We have 2 Samuel 22 repeated almost verbatim as Psalm 18 in the Psalter. It's been said that 2 Samuel 22 is David's personal version of this song for his own private use. And Psalm 18 is the cleaned up and polished version for use in public worship by God's people. So this is a psalm. This is a a song of deliverance. It's a poem of reflection on the goodness and the work of the Lord in David's life. So why did David write it? Now you could go through the passage many times and you would not be able to find a specific time reference of when David wrote this song. We read in verse 1 that it was written when the Lord delivered David from the hand of Saul and all his enemies. So most scholars believe that David was writing this toward the end of his life. When all of his enemies had been put under his feet. We know that David died in 970 BC. He was 70 years of age after he had reigned as king of Israel for 40 years. And it's likely that David was coming to the end of his life. He was coming to the end of his reign as the king of Israel. And he began to reflect. He began to look back. All that had happened since the days of his tending sheep in the field as a young boy. And as David reflected back on the trials and the difficulties, the ups and the downs, the near-death experiences that he had had, he couldn't help but break out in praise for God, for how God had sustained and protected him. Did you notice the language in this song is over the top? It's hyperbole. It's, it's almost, it feels almost like David is exaggerating, like he's overstating his case. I mean, just listen to some of the things that he says here in verses 5 and following. The waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shale entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Again, in verses 14 and following, he says, The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered His voice, and He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of His nostrils. Or verses 34 and 35, where David says, He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Or verses 38 and 39. I I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. And then verses 45 and 46. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. This is language that is over the top. Common in ancient Near Eastern poetry and songs of deliverance. I mean, remember the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43. When you go through the waters, I will be with you and you will not drown. When you go through the fires, you will not be burned. David is looking back on his life, especially from the time that he had been anointed to be king by Samuel. 
as he had to deal with Saul, who often was trying to kill him, as he was crowned king over all of Israel, as he went into battle against foreign countries, as he had to deal with the threat of a coup from within by his own son, who wanted to try to kill him. And as David reflects back on all that has has happened in his life, he is moved to write a stirring song of enthusiastic and exultant praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. This is a song of giving testimony for all time of God's faithfulness and goodness, strength and preservation of God's steadfast love. That's why he wrote it. Now, as we think about that, let's think about what this means for us today. What are some takeaways for us? Well, first of all is this. God's people are called to praise the Lord No matter the circumstances in life. No matter the circumstances of life, God's people are called to give God the glory. David's life had not been easy. His life had been threatened. He had almost been killed many times. He he was despised by King Saul. He often lived life on the run. He was nearly killed in battle against foreign nations. He was mocked. He was exiled. And his own son tried to kill him. Not to mention his own shortcomings and sin that he had to deal with. But through it all, David saw the necessity of giving praise to the Lord, no matter what the circumstances of life he experienced. And did you notice the intensity with which he did that? Look again at verses 2 and 3 and 4. The Lord, he says, is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence, he says. Nine different metaphors that David uses to describe God's steadfast love and faithfulness to him. God is his rock. His fortress, his deliverer, his rock, again, a different Hebrew word that he uses, his refuge, his shield, his horn, his stronghold, his savior. And as he reflects on how God has been faithful to him in those ways, he breaks out with intense praise. You see it in verse 47. He says there, The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. And again, as he comes to the end of his song in verse 50, for this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. This is not fake. This is not disingenuous. This is not insincere. This is David being moved to genuine praise of the Lord. Dr. Ralph Davis in his commentary on 2 Samuel tells the true story of uh, some things that happened in the late 1930s in the Soviet Union. Joseph Stalin was their leader at that time. And if you know your history, you know that he demanded absolute allegiance and praise of his own name. There's a historical record of a meeting that took place at one point of a great crowd of of leaders and the Soviet people. And when Stalin's name was announced, everybody stood up for a standing ovation, clapping and standing an ovation to their leader, to Stalin. But the problem was, how do you get the ovation to stop? Who's going to be the first to stop clapping and to sit down? 
Well, eventually, after it went on for a long period of time, an elderly man who couldn't stand any longer stopped clapping and sat down. The authorities noted who it was. The next day he was arrested and put in prison. Stalin's ego, his authoritative power, required enforced praise from his people. But it's not genuine. That's not sincere. That's not real. That's not what David is doing here in 2 Samuel chapter 22. David breaks out in this intense, sincere, genuine, loving praise and thanksgiving to the Lord God Almighty, regardless of his circumstances in life. So how about us? Now, we've never been the Lord's anointed king over the people of God. But even so, how do you respond to the Lord? Especially when you go through the valleys, when you go through difficult and trying circumstances. How do you respond? The Westminster Confession of Faith chapter on providence, on God's providence, says that God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. God's providence at work is for the purpose of his glory and his praise. Do you look back over your lives, the good things and the hard things, the happy times and the sad times, and say with David, God is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. He is my refuge, my shield, my horn of salvation. He is my stronghold. He is my savior. And so I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Who had more reason to complain and to doubt and to despair and to make sure that everybody knew his problems and trials in life? David or you? And yet, here is David showing us the way. True, genuine, intense praise for the Lord God Almighty, no matter the circumstances. And this leads us to the second so what. God's people are called to trust God who is always at work even when we don't see it. As we look at verses 32 through verse 49, what we see there is David rehearsing the way in David's life and in the life of the people of God behind the scenes, accomplishing his purpose and his will. David probably couldn't have written these words when he was in the midst of those things. Because often, as we know, right, it's so often, to, it's so hard to see how God is at work when we're in the midst of the situation, when we're dealing with the difficult circumstances. But as he looks back, he recognizes God is at work even when he couldn't see it. So how about us? Do we trust that God is always at work? When we can't see it, when we can't feel it, when we're in the valleys and the low places of life, do we trust that God is at work? In times and circumstances when we don't get what we want or when what we have is what we don't want, do we trust that God is at work? When we see loved ones and friends who walk away from the Lord, 
who pursue a life that is apart from a relationship with the Lord. Do we trust that the Lord is at work? When we hear the doctor say hard things about a new diagnosis, do we trust that the Lord is at work? When our marriage is coming apart and our spouses don't reciprocate the love and the respect that we so think that we deserve, do we trust that God is at work? When so much of our current culture seems to be going against the authority and the reign of Christ and the godliness that we see described in the Bible, do we trust that God is at work? Do we trust that God is accomplishing His good purposes? Do we trust that God is doing what is ultimately for our good and ultimately for His glory? Now, now as we seek to trust that God is at work, I want you to notice the precious truth that David confessed here in verse 7. David says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called. From His temple He heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. David cried out to the Lord in his distress. Now David's answer is what we read at the beginning of verse 10. God heard and he came down. We don't always get that answer. But the truth of verse 7 is always true. The Lord always hears your voice. Your cries, your cries of distress, always reach His ears. And as God's people, we must be reminded that even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, even when we look and try to see where God is at work and we don't, we can't comprehend it, God is always at work, always accomplishing His good and perfect purposes. And so we need to trust Him. At all times, good and bad, and seek to rest in that trust. Thirdly, we need to see the importance of faithful obedience. Now, we've got to deal with these difficult verses in verses 21 through 25. I didn't look up as I was reading them, but I hope your brow was furrowed. Uh, These verses are difficult. They don't make a lot of sense. This is David. This is David saying these words in verses 21 through 25. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in His sight. Really? This is David. We have been reading about David's life. This is the man who has lied, who has committed adultery, who has committed murder to cover up his adultery. And in recent chapters, we've seen over and over again that he failed as a father in many ways. And this, these words in verses 21 through 25 sound dangerously close to David saying that he was justified by his works. That he was accepted before his God in heaven because of his righteousness. 
So then we come to the New Testament and we read Paul's words in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. And Paul in Romans 3, none is righteous. No, not one. No one does good, not even one. How could David write these words? What's going on? Well, some scholars believe that perhaps David wrote these words in verses 21 through 25 when he was at the pinnacle of his reign as king before the events of Bathsheba and Uriah and Absalom, his son. The problem with that is, is that the author included them at the end of the book and also tells us that David wrote them after all of his enemies had been defeated. I think there's a better way of understanding what David is saying here. David was not claiming his own righteousness and cleanness of his hands as the basis of God's acceptance of him. He wasn't claiming that he was justified by good works and obedience. David is here simply acknowledging that he was in a relationship with the Lord. That he lived in recognition of and in dependence on the Lord God Almighty. Pastor and Bible teacher Eugene Peterson put it this way. David was saying that he believes in God, that he thinks about God, that he imagines God, that he addresses God, and that he prays to God. He also forgets God, disobeys God, sins against God, and ignores God. But God is the reality that accounts for and defines all that David does and says. The largest part of David's existence is not David, it is God. David was a sinner. He was a big sinner. But he was also a man of repentance. And through all of life, he did not walk away from his relationship with the Lord. At times, he was unfaithful. And he had to repent and turn back to the Lord. But over the extent of his life, he walked in obedience with the Lord in relationship to the Lord. In fact, as we look in verse 24, when David calls himself blameless, the Hebrew word there doesn't actually mean sinless. What it means is more of a sense of being complete or whole or with integrity. David was saying that his whole life was wholeheartedly committed to the Lord. That even when he fell into grievous sins, he confessed it, he repented of it, and he kept following the Lord. He didn't walk away, ultimately, in his relationship from the Lord. And that helps us at times. It helps us to remember that the Christian life is a relationship with the Lord God Almighty. That when God regenerates our hearts, when He gives us the gift of faith, when He justifies us by His grace through faith in Christ, when He adopts us into His family, what He is doing is bringing us into relationship with Himself. On this side of heaven, the relationship will always have ups and downs because we're sinners. But as a Christian, what must define us is not our sin or a season when we feel far away from the Lord. What defines us is our relationship with, with the Lord. And that relationship is not contingent on how we feel. It's not even contingent on how we're doing with our walk with the Lord. Now that no, in no way excuses our sin or gives us the green light to sin boldly. Rather, it's exactly the opposite. When we do sin, the very fact that we are in relationship with our Lord should cause us to respond with repentance and a renewed faith and obedience to the Lord who loves us and who owns us. 
And that leads us to this final so what. I mean, after all, who is this song of deliverance ultimately about? The ultimate subject of David's song in 2 Samuel isn't David, but David's greater son who would come, Jesus Christ. All of this over-the-top language that David is using in his song makes the most sense when we think of the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Again, listen to the words here in verses 8 and following. The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him as canopy thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. This over-the-top language makes the most sense when we think about the life and death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians reading David's song of deliverance now need to see Jesus in this song. And David brings us straight to that point as he ends his song in verse 51. As he comes to the end and he remembers what? The steadfast love of the Lord. That's the Hebrew word chesed. It's such a special word. He remembers the steadfast love, the chesed of the Lord. That is the word that God gave to describe his covenant steadfast love for his people. And that's why David throughout his song used the word Lord, L-O-R-D in all capital letters. That's how we know that the Hebrew word that David was using was Yahweh. That special name that God gave to his people to describe his covenant faithfulness and steadfast covenant love. And in fact, when we get to the New Testament in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 15, Paul quotes from 2 Samuel 22 and says that it is ultimately fulfilled in the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Like David, Jesus also cried out to the Lord in his distress. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But where David received deliverance from the Lord, Jesus didn't. Jesus died on the cross and he was buried in the tomb. And because Jesus wasn't delivered from his distress and he died for the penalty of our sin on our behalf, we get deliverance through him. Because Jesus rose from the grave and ascended back to heaven and is ruling and reigning at this very moment, we get God's hesed, His covenant love that will never let us go. Brothers and sisters in Christ, to the extent that God's grace and covenant love for you grips your hearts and your minds, to that same extent, you will have the desire and the strength to praise the Lord in your life no matter the circumstances and to trust that the Lord is always at work for His own glory and for your good even when you can't see it. And you'll be reminded that your primary identity is in your relationship with the Lord. And so you'll be moved to a life of faithful obedience 
in that relationship. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for not only giving David these words to write so long ago, but so preserving them so that we could have them today. As we read this wonderful testimony of praise to you as our God for your faithfulness. I pray, Father, that you would move in us. Help us to see your work in our lives. Help us to have a song of deliverance of our own. That we would be moved to praise you no matter the circumstances of our life and to see that you're at work even when we can't see the specifics of how. And that you would remind us of our relationship with you anchored in the gospel of your grace and mercy through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray you would do this for your glory's sake and for the good of all your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.